Turn your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to read the first nine verses. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. And she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial for her. We're continuing in this series, Mark's Biblical Answers to Puzzling Questions. As we said, we wanted to do just a brief survey of the Gospel of Mark, considering one message from each chapter. We've made our way up to chapter 14 here, and we're asking the question, how do you worship? This passage, Mark chapter 14, for the first nine verses, is paralleled with passages from Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 18, and John chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. This story tells us of one of the last kindnesses shown to Jesus during his earthly ministry. A little group of people who loved Jesus had sought to honor him in a special way, and among those was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Her act of gratitude and compassion was one of the most loving and precious ever shown to Jesus. And what I'd like us to do is consider the setting and as well this event before we look at the details of Mary's demonstration of supreme love and devotion. First of all, where is this taking place? It's in the home of Simon the leper, and a good many people were there present to witness it. First you had Jesus, of course, he's always present when his believers worship. The scripture tells us where two or three are gathered together in my name, and there am I in the midst of them. Of course, our Lord stating that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. But also you had the 12 disciples, those who chose to follow the Lord throughout his ministry. You have Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha of Bethany. He was the one who was raised from the dead by Jesus. That miracle so excited the wrath of the Jews that they sought to put both Jesus and Lazarus to death, according to John chapter 11. Then, of course, there was Simon the leper who was present. Little is known about this man other than the fact that he was a leper who had been healed by Jesus. Tradition states he was the husband of Martha 
And Scripture does in some ways seem to support that belief. You see, they were eating at his house, and John says Martha was serving. This was seen to indicate a close relationship between Martha and Simon. So there she was probably his wife or may have been his daughter. And then there was Martha and Mary there, the sisters of Lazarus. So there might have been others present. We don't know. The scripture chooses to identify these 16 individuals who had gathered with Jesus. But let's consider the details of this event. You have the occasion of Mary's worship, you have the offering of Mary's worship, and you have the opposition to Mary's worship. So let's look here at verse 3 as we start out considering the occasion of Mary's worship. Remember, we're asking the question, how do you worship? We have an opportunity to look at the example of this lady. Verse 3, and being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Understand, they were at his house. They were not at the temple. They were not at a synagogue. They were not at the Galilean seashore. They were not at the Judean hillside. They were at a meal served in a person's home. I believe this is one of many ways we see in Scripture that indicate time and location of true worship is limitless. Yes, we gathered here together today in the church house. Again, and I say the church house. We, the people of this congregation, are the church. This place is merely where we choose to meet. We could equally worship the Lord and as effectively worship the Lord out in the parking lot Over at the shore, we could be anywhere and worship the Lord. So it's important for us to understand we are not limited to our place and time of worship based upon a building. Here we see they had gathered in the house of Simon the leper and she chose to worship the Lord at this moment. There are many references in scripture to how people worship. Acts chapter 5 verse 42 And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They met at the temple. They met in people's homes. How about in Acts chapter 16, where uh, Paul is worshiping in prison? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. The scripture admonishes us to worship the Lord on a daily basis wherever we are. Ephesians chapter 5, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no qualifier there setting a limit as to where that takes place. No, the idea is wherever we are, we ought to be singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. David said in Psalm 86, verse 12, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. And in Psalm 96, verse 9, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fear before him all the earth. Wherever we are, we ought to be demonstrating an attitude of worship. 
Someone has said, when Jesus is present, anywhere is suitable for worshiping him. The idea or the occasion of Mary's worship is that she chose to worship the Lord at a time when she was near him. Beloved, he is always in our heart. He is always at our side. He is ever present. And we ought to recognize as God's children the opportunities we have to worship him on a regular basis. Aren't you glad he walks with you day by day, all throughout life? Let's not forget, being everywhere present, we have an opportunity to worship him, to praise him, to adore him wherever we are. So that kind of lays the groundwork there for the occasion of Mary's worship. Well, let's consider the offering of Mary's worship. Again, in verse 3, an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she break the box and poured it on his head. To us in our culture, this seems rather odd. But let's consider a few things here. First of all, her anointing of Jesus was a selfless, costly, and loving act of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe she anointed him to show how deeply she loved and believed him to be the true Messiah, the anointed one of God. You see, Jesus is Savior, he's Lord, he's Messiah, he's the King, and he had done so much for her and her family, she wanted to demonstrate her love, her adoration, her gratitude for that. Her offering demonstrates three very important aspects of worship. Notice them with me. First of all, we see her offering was personal and physical. Tells us here in this verse, there came a woman. We're not talking about an organization. We're not talking about a congregation. We're talking about one person. And we're looking at the life of this single individual who saw it an important part of her life to worship the one whom she loved and adored. To worship the one whom she believed to be the God of heaven. Beloved, I assure you today, based on the word of God, Jesus Christ truly is that God of heaven. He came to this world to give everyone an opportunity to know him as Savior and Lord. And Mary had come to that very conclusion. So she personally approached the Lord in this manner. Well, a little bit about the culture. Because of the hot, dry climate, it was the custom of the day to anoint someone's head with oil, especially guests when they came to visit someone's home. This was usually done by a servant, and there is speculation that since Simon owned a house that was large enough to entertain a large number of people, that it's quite possible he did have a servant or servants working in his household. But what is noteworthy is Mary anointed Jesus herself. You see, when it comes to worship, That can't be delegated to somebody else. If you want to worship the Lord, it's going to have to come from your heart, from your lips. It's going to have to come from your very being. The scripture tells us we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind. It is up to us as individuals to worship him. 
Now, I don't believe, though, she was just anointing him to fulfill a custom of the day. I believe her purpose was much greater, and she was expressing, as I said, her love and gratitude for him. She gave because she loved him. 2 Corinthians 8.12 For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Matthew chapter 16 verse 8, Jesus declared, freely ye have received, freely give. She had had received the benefit, the blessing, the goodness of God, and she wanted to give something back to him. Let me clarify something right here though. We are never going to be able to repay God for the gift of salvation we have received. This eternal gift is worth far beyond anything anyone in this life could ever amass. Even the richest person in the world couldn't come any closer than the poorest person in the world in repaying God for his great, great love. So she's not giving this to try and pay back the Lord for what he has done. No, she's saying he has done so much for us, I am going to give back a little in comparison to show my love for him. That was a great deal for her, as we'll see in a little bit. But this idea of worship, it's in one way it's it's demonstrated through our own personal giving and our activity. And not just giving by way of wealth, not just giving finances, but giving our very life to the Lord. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God expects us to give ourselves back to him. And here we see her giving was quite generous. First Chronicles 16.29 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. How interesting that that passage dealing with worship at the temple connects possessions with worship. It connects giving with our adoration for the Lord. Everything we have, we've received of him. We ought to be willing to give back to him. But not only do we see her offering was personal and physical, it was priceless and pure. For she gave an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. We believe Mary took the most precious thing she had and gave it to Jesus in a most significant way. Oil normally used for anointing the head cost only about a mite. You know, what we would say, well, it was a penny. You know, it was a very small and very inexpensive uh, amount. But that's not what Mary used. She used what the scripture calls spikenard, very precious. She took a priceless oil valued at approximately 300 denarii for that amount that she gave. John chapter 12, verse 5, a parallel passage, identifies this as being valued at 300 pence. A pence. That would be a day's wage. Can you imagine taking nearly a year's wage and giving it in a one-time offering to the Lord? I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm just saying that's what she did. She gave something that was of great value to her. 
This was an oil that was used by kings. And even in their opulence, they only used a few drops at a time. She dumped out the entire amount. Nard, or spikenard, is an aromatic oil extracted from an East Indian plant. Its root is very small and slender, and it puts forth a long, small stalk and has several ears, or spikes, that uh, grow along the ground. And that's where it gets its name, of spikenard. The taste is bitter, but the smell is pleasant. In fact, the Song of Solomon Chapter 1, verse 12 states, While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. Mary's actions weren't determined by practicality. You hear that word thrown around a lot by people. Well, it's just not practical. People talk about the importance of tithing or giving to missions through faith promise or special offerings. And someone says, well, that's just not practical. Well, Not everything we do for the Lord has to be practical, but everything we do for the Lord ought to be done in obedience to his command. What she did wasn't that practical. Her gift was simply given to Jesus with no thought of whether it was sensible. And obviously it didn't appear to be sensible based on what others were saying in the room. We'll get to that in a minute. But you know, Jesus has a lot of strange things in his treasury. He has a widow's mite a cup of water, a broken alabaster box, and a few loaves and fishes. But all he always multiplies that which he receives and uses it for his honor and his glory. Illustration here, hoping to develop a son's character. A dad once gave his boy a penny and a quarter as he was leaving for Sunday school and said, now Peter, I want you to put whichever one of those coins in the offering plate that you want. And when the boy returned, his father asked him which coin he had given. And Peter said, just before they passed the plate, the preacher said, the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. And I knew I could give the penny a whole lot more cheerfully than I could give the quarter. So, so I gave the penny. <laughs> well, you know, that's the way a lot of us look at uh, giving. But the Lord is delighted, I believe, with whatever is given out of a heart of love and appreciation and worship. And we see that she was rewarded greatly for this story is recorded throughout eternity in Holy Writ. Wouldn't that be something if your name would be mentioned by preachers and Christians across the country and around the world for all time? It's pretty incredible when you stop and think about it. But notice, not only was her offering personal and physical, not only was it priceless and pure, but it was purposeful and prophetic. Verse 8, Jesus said, She hath done what she could. She come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Notice how Mary gave the gift to Jesus. She didn't just hand it to him. But she broke the container and poured the whole contents of the bottle on his head and as well on his feet. For the Gospel of John tells us it was also on his feet. But why did she break that flask? Could have just been opened and reused. It could be uh, to indicate everything in it was consumed in her offering. 
It might have been out of respect, for there was a custom in the East at this time that if a glass was used by a distinguished guest, after they were finished with it, it was broken so it couldn't be touched by a, a person of lesser prominence and importance. And certainly none of greater importance than the Lord will ever come on the scene. But maybe there is something in your mind which Jesus himself saw. It was the custom in the East, first to bathe, then to anoint the bodies of the dead. After the body had been anointed, the flask in which the perfume had been contained was broken. And the fragments of the broken flask were laid with the body in the tomb. Although she didn't know of his impending death, symbolically, that's pretty much what she did. And Jesus so noted that. You see, her worship was purposeful in that it demonstrated her belief that Jesus was the Christ. And it was prophetic because it called attention to his coming death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and kingly reign. See, to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, and by the way, not everybody does, but those who do believe he is their king, their Lord, their God, the fact that he's known as the Messiah is important in several ways. Nationally, he was to be the leader from David's line, who would free the Jewish state and establish it as an independent nation and lead it to be the greatest nation on the earth. That is yet to come. Militarily, he was to lead the Jewish armies victoriously over all the world. That as well is yet to come. It will take place at the end of the tribulation. Religiously, he was to be a supernatural figure straight from God who would bring righteousness over all the earth. He has done that in part and will fulfill the remainder of that at his second coming. And personally, he was to be the one who would bring peace to the whole world. There is coming a day when he will grant that peace throughout the world. But thank God today he has granted peace to the heart and mind of everyone who knows him as Savior and Lord. Yes, her worship was personal and physical, priceless and pure, purposeful and prophetic. But consider also the opposition to her worship. Verses 4 and 5, And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. Notice their opposition was internal and external. By the way, that's pretty much the two ways that people oppose anything anybody else does. There were some that had indignation within themselves. The word indignation, it's a compound word, meaning much grief. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. These people were unhappy that a Mary would be so audacious, that she would be so bold, that she would be so outgoing, that she would be so wasteful in what she did. 
Beloved, people can look at us as Christians and say, you're wasting your life. You are throwing it away. You are building your hopes and dreams on a myth, on a fable, on a fairy tale, on folklore. They, they claim we're believing a lie. Beloved, they can claim that all they want. We believe that we have trusted in the one who is the one true and only God of heaven, the creator of all that is, and one day we're going to be in heaven with him, and we look forward to that. That blessed hope, believing with all our hearts that he is coming again. And we thank God for that. People can look at us and they can mock us and say, that's foolish, that's silly. And inward, they can have great disdain and indignation toward us. That's all right. Everyone has the opportunity and the ability to make a choice between one of two paths. Choose to follow God. Choose to reject him. Choose to receive him. Choose to turn away from him. You can state that in many, many ways. But it still comes down to the fact you make a choice. And there will always be people who stand in opposition to Christianity and say it's a choice of fools. Let them talk. Let them go the direction they will go. That seems to be a very harsh and cold statement. But beloved, the tragedy is the scripture declares many are called, but few are chosen. The choice people make is compared to two gates. The broad gate, many go in thereat. And the narrow gate, few there choose to go that way. How sad it is. There will be multitudes who reject the Lord but they've done so in their heart and their heart attitude is opposed to God. But there are those who choose to express that indignation outwardly. We see that also in verse 4. For they said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and so on. They use the circumstances of the day to support their displeasure with Mary. Do not people today use the circumstances that we see headlining our news uh, programs? They're using the circumstances of riots and hatred and racism to their own advantage to seek to silence righteousness. It's interesting. There are states that still won't allow churches to gather together for worship after this whole virus thing. It stopped being about the virus a long time ago. When California, when the California governor declared that they were banning singing in worship services to prevent the further spread of the virus. How many stories have we heard about people who went to church and got sick? How many how people got together for prayer and got sick? How is it that people are gathering by the thousands in the street and burning cities, entire sections of cities to the ground, and you never hear about any additional claims of, of the virus infecting people? This whole thing's not a hoax, but it is terribly distorted. And people will use current events and public opinion to drive people from the Lord. And that's what they were doing here. Well, they, it was Judas. He was the mouthpiece here. 
He's saying, well, there's pe- poor people everywhere. That uh, ointment could have been sold 300 denarii, 300 pence, 300 days wages, and it could have been distributed to help people. The language indicates they snorted like angry horses. That may have been a little humiliating for Mary. might have been a little intimidating. You see, Judas criticized Mary for wasting money, but he wasted his entire life. For Jesus' summation of Judas, John chapter 17, verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. There will always be those who question the believer's love and sacrifice for the Lord. Some will even murmur and outwardly speak against significant sacrifices. They'll criticize for the way we demonstrate our love to the Lord. Luke 21, verse 17, Jesus said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. John 15, 18, For if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hate you. Then John 17, 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Yes, you see Mary demonstrate her worship And she did so while at Simon's house, in front of others, bringing her offering to the Lord. And we see she was harshly criticized for it. But let me conclude with these thoughts. Jesus knew the sincerity of Mary's heart and quickly came to her defense when he said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? It's kind of like a big brother coming to the rescue of little sister. These men, whether it was just Judas or others as well, picking on her, and Jesus is pretty much saying, enough, stop it. And then he goes on to tell how she will be rewarded for her gift. First, we have to understand Jesus is not arguing against caring for the poor or against social involvement. That's not what he's saying at all. The scripture emphasizes the believers need to be aware of helping others. Matthew 10.42, Jesus said, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little, little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. We're reminded in James, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, caring for the fatherless and widows and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. Our Lord's commendation to Mary for putting him above all else put an end to the either-or argument that some people like to throw up there. He's saying both and You can worship me and care for others. You can be generous. You can be outgoing. You can be vocal in your worship for the Lord and still care for others. You know, so many times, this attitude that Jesus displayed, well, don't give to him, give to them. Jesus saying that's not how it works. True worship is directed toward the Lord and proves to benefit all others. Someone has said, we have no trouble dreaming big, but getting from the heart to the lips 
from the heart to the hands, from the heart to the bank account, from the heart to others, that's another matter. She did more than just think in her heart, I'm thankful for what Jesus did for me. She showed it. When he said she had done what she could, there could have been no higher commendation given by our Lord. Another has said, all cannot do great things for Christ. Each one should do what he or she can as unto the Lord himself. You see, these friends of Jesus illustrate four qualities that characterize all believers. In Simon, we see gratitude and hospitality. In Martha, we see service. In Mary, we see worship. And in Lazarus, we see fellowship. Mary chose to worship the Lord in a very real and recognizable way. D.L. Moody said, If people were true to the first commandment, obedience to the other nine would follow naturally. It is because they are unsound in this, they break the others. How do you worship today?